0: Good morning again. Welcome to this, the Lord's Day. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. The book of James. We are beginning a new series. New series. We have completed our series in Colossians, and we're beginning a new series. In the book of James, and I've called or titled this series James Faith That Works. And like, I like James, I really like James. You know, James could be an Aussie, he could be a southerner, because James is direct, James is confrontational, James is to the point. In fact, there are more imperatives, more imperatives in the book of James than any other biblical book. Right? Imperatives, directives telling you what you should do. I love I love this is a great quote, and feel free to print this up and put it on the walls of your houses. James 4 4 You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? How many of you are going to put that on the wall in your house? Right? James, he's not scared, as we would say. He doesn't pull his punches. But what about the book itself? What, what is James trying to convey? What is, he, what is he looking to convey not only to readers 2,000 years ago, but what is God trying to tell us now as well? But see, James's purpose is to challenge his readers to live out their faith. He makes multi- multitude of statements in regards to faith and works. Faith without any action is just head knowledge. In fact, He even says that you're no different than demons. Just because you have the correct theology doesn't mean you're a Christian. Demons know exactly who God is. They knew exactly who Christ is, but they will not bow the knee. Head knowledge alone is not enough for salvation. And so James confronts these believers with the reality of a life that must demonstrate an inward change. It's not about just believing a set of doctrines. True faith is always demonstrated in a love for God, our affections, our mindset, And then a love for each other. And a love for the world. The desire to see the world come to know Christ. The sharing of the gospel. But he wants Christians to live consistent lives. You know, a big push in the medical field is wellness or wholeness. Dealing with all aspects of people's life. Well, well, James wants to also deal with wholeness. Because he wants you to be a whole person. He wants you to be a mature person, a complete person. James uses the word perfect. And that perfect is, a, is it can better be translated as complete or mature. That's James' goal. I was thinking as I was thinking and just reading the book of James, I remember a story that was told of a zoo that was noted for their great collection of animals. Well, one day the gorilla died, and in order to keep up the appearance of their full range of animals, the zookeeper hired a man to wear a gorilla suit and fill in for this dead animal. Well, the man didn't know how to act like a gorilla very well. As he tried to move around very convincingly like a gorilla, he got too close to the wall of the enclosure, and he fell, and he tripped and fell into the lion exhibit, and as he, as he screamed and as he, as he was yelling, thinking his life was over, the lion spoke to him and said, be quiet, you're going to get us both fired. <laughs> you see, what James wants to avoid is hypocrisy. He doesn't want you walking around in a Christian suit when in inside there's no change in your life. You see... James focuses in on Christians. He says, don't have a segmented life. And unfortunately for so many Christians today, we we have segmented lives. We have our our children's ministries. We have, excuse me, our children's activities. We have family activities. We have church activities. And we have all these other activities. But our our Christian faith is only spoken about and only even mentioned when we go to church. See, they're segmented lives. That's a segment. That's the definition of a hypocrite. Is inconsistency, you're, you're wearing a mask to hide the person that you really are. And so James will confront you over and over and over with examples of, if you believe this, in other words, if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, then your behavior should be X, it should be this. And over and over he's going to give us examples and he's going to confront you and he's going to challenge you. That's why I love the book of James. James doesn't pull punches. James also gives us the answers, it's how can we become more consistent? Because he not only says, be more consistent, but he tells us how to do it. And his focus on how to be more consistent is in wisdom that comes from above. What is that? Another way to put it is the Word of God. It's how we know how to live as a Christian. And he says, look, there's only two types of wisdom in this world. There's wisdom that comes from above, and there's wisdom that is humanistic, and he even calls it demonic wisdom. So the world culture that we live in pushes us and, and tries to get us to conform to his image, to live a certain way. And James says, no, 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 we live by a different standard. We live by different wisdom.'" So James says, and it it's culminates actually, the central part of the book of James, it, it builds into chapter 3, verse 13, where he says, he asks this question, Who among you is wise? Let him show it by his good behavior and his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Culminates in that section, James 13 through 18, where he compares the two types of wisdom. So James calls for a, a consistency, a wholeness, a completeness in your life. And then he says you, 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 you can achieve that in the power of the Holy Spirit through the wisdom that comes from God. This book is a, it's a great book. And this morning we're going to be looking at just one verse. We're going to be getting, getting started simple this morning. We're going to be looking at James 1.1. 1, 1. We're going to be looking at James himself, because before we really get into James' message, I want to give you a picture of who James is. He's one of those apostles that we we often don't really consider. We know Peter, we know Paul, and we know of John, but we we don't really think about James, because James wasn't a disciple. He's not mentioned in the Gospels, other than as an unbeliever. We're looking at four aspects of James's life. We're going to be looking at James, the brother of Jesus, James, the slave of God, James, the pillar of the church, and James, the shepherd of the sheep. Let's go ahead and look down at the text with me, James 1.1, 1, 1, and let's look at this verse. James 1.1. 1, 1. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. And that's where we're going to stop. So the first aspect of James that you need to understand, or I'd like for you to realize, is that James, as the brother of Jesus, he did not believe in Christ and accept Christ while Jesus was alive. He didn't believe in Him. In John 7, it's it's a great verse, if you want to turn over to John chapter 7 with me. John chapter 7, we'll look at verse 2. John chapter 7. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world." Verse 5, for not even his brothers were believing in him. See, James is one of Jesus' brothers. If you flick a, flip over excuse me, to Mark, Mark chapter 6, Jesus' time in Nazareth. Jesus went out from there, Mark chapter 6, verse 1, and he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And when Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, And the many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things, these powers? Where is this wisdom, and how has he performed such miracles with these with his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense. And Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives." And he could do no miracle there except he laid his hands on a few sick people. And he, verse 6, and he wondered at their unbelief. James did not believe in Jesus when he was alive. Because the, the perception often can color our reality. They, they perceived Jesus, he perceived him as, oh, he's just my older brother. Or, or the, the, the community of Nazareth said, oh, Jesus is just this carpenter. Well, John, if you remember Jesus on the cross, Jesus looks down and he sees the gospel whom Jesus loved. That's what John is called. And he says that in a, in a deep, humble state when he, when he writes that in the book of the gospel of John. When he looks down and he looks at John and he says, he says he looks at, and Mary standing beside John, he said, Here, your mother. Basically, he gives John the charge to take care of his mom. Jewish tradition says that if the older brother dies, it becomes the responsibility of the next brother in line to take care of the widow. Most likely Mary is a widow this time. Her, her husband's not in the picture for some reason. You see, belief in Christ changes relationships forever. Jesus trusted John. Jesus loved John. John was one of his disciples. But his brother wasn't. You see, proximity to Christ never guarantees salvation. Judas was with Christ for three years and did not believe. Imagine the things that Jesus heard. Judas saw. James said that the the things that Jesus did could be written in many, many books. We only have have a small selection of the things Jesus said and Jesus done. Judas saw those things. He was with Christ, and yet he did not believe. You know, church attendance does not make you a Christian. You don't, you don't, you're just like standing in a garage doesn't make you a car, right? You know, our family attachments don't make us a Christian as well. So often we think, if my, my I'm saved, uh, this person is going to get saved, or if, if I become a Christian, they're automatically going to become a Christian. There, there aren't guarantees, each individual person is responsible for their own sin before God. That's one of the reasons, among others, why we don't baptize infants in this church. We believe that the the new covenant community, the new community is made up of believing Christians. We are baptized to demonstrate what the inward change has already occurred in our hearts. We're showing others. It's one of the two ordinances of the church. One being the Lord's Supper. The other one is baptism. Jesus' command, go into the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We baptize believers only. There is yeah, I got invited to a friend of mine, he's, he's Presbyterian, and he invited me to his, his baby's baptism. And I told him, I said, brother, I'll go there to support you, I love you, but you know, if you want to publicly bathe your baby, it's up to you. Because that's all it is, you're just washing some warm water on a little baby. It doesn't have any spiritual significance. The Catholic Church says that if you baptize infants, they become part of the, the church and they receive special grace. We each are responsible for our own sin before God. We all have to come to God individually, right? That's why we we baptize believers only. You see, this offends this offends many. I have a buddy that was a friend of mine in a in a in a pastorship in a church that was in New Orleans, heavily Catholic area, and it, it would offend family members. They, they would get A person would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and they would be, hold to believers' baptism and their family would be offended. Well, you were baptized as an in infant. Well, they would have to explain, rightly so, the gospel to their family members and say that that baptism is worthless. It means nothing. I'm a believer. I'm a saved Christian now. And they were offended because the gospel always offends. When you share the gospel, we don't say it offensively, but the truth that people can't save themselves... The truth that, that people are self-righteous and that all their works are filthy rags offends people. The gospel offends. So James, James didn't believe. He, he was the brother of Jesus, but he didn't believe in Christ. It actually took a personal visit from the resurrected Jesus for James to believe. Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen seven he says that Jesus appeared to the twelve And then he appeared to James, and then he said, then he appeared to me last of all. That's Paul. So Jesus appeared directly to James, and at that point, James became a Christian. James 1, he says, James, he says, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So James is not only the brother of Jesus, but James is a slave of God. He's a doulos, for the use of the Greek word. He's a bondservant or, or a slave. It, for him, as an indication of humility. No longer did he look at Jesus as my older brother, but he looked at Him as God and Lord. And you can see that in the fact that he says, I'm a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He equates the two. equates God the Father with God the Son. He submits to Him. He's changed. He was a slave to sin and now he's a slave to Christ. You know, a doulos, a bondservant, a slave, is is one who is deprived of their personal freedom and they become solely the instrument in the hands of the master. You know, we are called to be slaves of God. You remember Colossians 3, verse 24, and, and Colossians 4, 1, we were talking about slaves and masters, and we were applying to the context, the modern context of employee, employer. Basically, Paul says, do your work as a, as a slave, as a servant to Christ. He's who you're working for. And if you're a master, you, you know you have a master. The whole point is you're both slaves and you're equal in the eyes of God. You, you have different positions and different roles, but you're all slaves. We're all servants of Christ. You know, Queen Elizabeth, in case you guys didn't know this, is a constitutional monarch of Australia. The concept that Americans don't really get, but she is a apparently she's a figurehead. She has very little political power, except to appoint the governor general and a few other other particular people. But the prime minister is where it's at, right? The prime minister is where the political power really rests in this country. And you vote for a prime minister, and he sets forth the agenda. Well, brethren, we we often treat Christ as our constitutional sovereign. And we want to be the Prime Minister. You see, God is the figurehead while we act independently, we make our own decisions and we don't consult with Him and and we do what we want to do. Instead of a slave, we're we're the Prime Minister and we we give nominal recognition and praise, but yet we want to control our lives. We wanna take the honor for ourselves. We want to make the important decisions ourselves. See, being a slave means that our our affections and our mindset has changed and we seek after His glory and His honor and we seek none for ourselves. We look to be obedient not only to His will from obligation because of what He's done, but because of love for Him. His sacrifice drives us. We can willingly and humbly say, just as James could say, that we have come in contact with the resurrected Lord. He's changed our hearts and we submit to Him because we love Him. (coughs) He's our bondservant. You see, James received that personal visit and he was confirmed to be an apostle. In order to be an apostle, you have to have a personal visit from the resurrected Lord. That's why there's no apostles today. You have to be confirmed by other living apostles. Apostles. Why no apostles today? You see, in the States, we have a political term we called rhino. Because we have two political parties in the States. Now, they're made up of smaller groups, but there's mainly two political parties, Republicans and Democrats. Generally, the, the Republicans uh, fall on the, 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 the right to conservative side of the spectrum. The Democrats, uh, the more liberal slash progressive left side of the spectrum. And then you have kind of a blend in between. America generally is a center-right country. And, but what you have, and we, we have this term in America called rhinos. And what it is, is Republican in name only. Right? They, they seem to be Republicans, but they're not very conservative. Right? They often don't even vote with the Republicans. and They're kind of a, a moderate mesh of, of belief. Well, visit from the Lord Jesus Christ forever change James. So it changes you the challenge for us, and the challenge that James is going to make to you as we go through this book is that you would not be a chino, not a pair of pants, but that you would be a Christian in name only. He wants to see consistency. So not only is James a brother of Jesus, not only has he become a doulos, but he became a pillar in the church. In Galatians 2.9, when Paul goes to present his gospel to the church in Jerusalem, he mentions James, Peter, and then John. James is always mentioned first among the pillars. And Paul actually said that he is a pillar in the church in Jerusalem. He becomes the pastor of that church. One thing we often forget and when we look at the book of James is the book of James was the first epistle written. And at the time it was written... There were barely any Gentile churches. So the church was primarily Jewish. It was primarily based out of Jerusalem. And so we have this division of labor where James becomes the pastor of that church. And you have Paul and you have Peter that go out from that church and evangelize and establish churches. But James remains and he becomes their pastor. He's the first among equals. And you can see this really clearly, if you'll flip over with me to Acts. Flip over with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, really quickly. Now this is the Jerusalem council, and, and what we have is some men came down from James' church, and were basically telling the Gentiles, telling us, that unless we become Jews, right, we, we can't really be saved. In other words, if we're not circumcised, we don't follow the Jewish religious practices, we can't be saved, and then we can't be sanctified. Book of Galatians. We can't honor the Lord if we don't act out the Jewish practices. Well, Paul and Barnabas, it says rightly so in verse 2, there's a great dissension and debate. And, and what did they do? They just said, well, we'll send Paul and Barnabas back to the church in Jerusalem, and we'll get some advice from the other apostles. So Paul and Barnabas show up, And they got to Jerusalem in verse 4. And they all met. And they told them the gospel they had been preaching. Peter gets up and and speaks about how God had come to him. Paul tells about his ministry and his his, uh, gospel that he's been preaching. And then James gets up in verse 13. and says, After they had stopped speaking, James answered and said, Brethren, listen to me. Simon has related how God, first concerning himself, about taking from among the gentiles a people for his name with these words of the prophets agree just as it's written and he goes through and he says he says basically like he basically quotes Amos and he talks about how not only is it experience of Paul and experience of Peter but it's also in the Old Testament and then this is the key in verse 19 he says therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are Turning to God from among the Gentiles, James makes a judgment and all the other apostles agree. And the reason I make this and I draw this attention or draw this this, this point to you is that James was a pillar. He was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, right? He was prominent. So if James is writing a letter to, to Jewish believers and us as well, we should listen to this. He's a wise guy, a wise man. He's the pastor. One thing to remember, too, when you think about James is that Paul actually submitted to his authority. We emphasize Paul, and there's nothing wrong with emphasizing Paul. You know, all the books that he's written in the ministry to the Gentiles as Gentiles. But Paul submits to James' authority three times. In Galatians 2, when he, when he originally goes to Jerusalem and presents his gospel, James says to, to Paul, remember the poor. And Paul says, we gladly will. And then in in Acts 15, as as we were just looking at here, James says, look, one of the things, I'm not going to say the Gentiles have to become Jews, but they need to refrain from offensive practices. That medium rare steak that you like, you want to be careful about eating that among Jewish brethren, because blood disgusts them. And James says, look, don't, don't be overly offensive, you Gentiles, who are used to a different style, different way of living. And Paul says, we'll do that. And then Paul comes to, to Jerusalem in Acts 21, and James says, look, in order to show all the Jewish, Jewish people that you aren't really anti-Jew, because that's the rumor going around in Acts 21, he says, why don't you pay for these brothers over here that are engaged in a Nazarite vow, pay for their offering so they can finish their vow, and then you join with them in prayers in the temple, and offering alms. And Paul said, all right, I'll do that. He didn't have to, but he submitted to James' authority. You see, James is the head of the church. And you know what? Growing up, there are many men in the church from where I grew up I would call pillars. Men who were wise, understand the Word of God, and men who lived it out. And that's James. So when we read through the book of James, you can trust his words that are coming from somebody who's in authority, but is also somebody that is full of wisdom. You see, James... Became the head of the church that was center of all Christendom. It was primarily Jewish. In fact, James, this book was written in A.D. 49, around A.D. 49. Paul didn't begin his missionary journeys until A.D. 45. The first book, the, the sorry, the first book that Paul wrote was 1 Thessalonians, and that was in A.D. 54. So this is all, this is all the scripture that the church had. For, for a while, besides the Old Testament. This is the first book of the, of the New Testament. Look, we all have different roles, right? That's one thing as servants, as doulos. We have different roles. James was given the role of being the pastor of that church. Peter and Paul went out sharing the gospel. The other disciples scattered to the four corners of the earth, with the exception of John. You see, we all have different ministries. We all have different roles to serve the Lord. But we're to be faithful to do what the Lord has called us to do. So you have James, who's the brother of Jesus. He's a doulos of God. He's a pillar in the church. Flip back over to James 1 and see, he's he's a shepherd. He's a shepherd of the sheep. He says, "...to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings." Now, He's talking to a primarily Jewish, right? Jewish believers that have been scattered. And they would actually been scattered by Paul, excuse me, Saul's persecution in Acts 8. Acts 8.1 says they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. And, and one thing about James is, as, as these were primarily Jewish believers, they were still making the trek to Jerusalem. Right? They would go to Jerusalem three times a year to, to celebrate the Jewish feast. So James, as the pastor of that church, would come into contact with all these believers that were traveling from the different regions. And naturally, they would come from their, their other their, their groups, their little churches. They would come and, and they would come to the mother church. And James would see them and talk with them and counsel them. And what he's seeing presses in on his heart And what we're going to see as we go through the book of James is a a shepherd who sees believers acting immaturely and inconsistently. See, James was a shepherd. He cared about his sheep. And he cares about all the sheep. This applies to you just as much as it applies to those Jewish believers 2,000 years ago in that context. And James is going to challenge you, like I said before, And you're going to feel convicted. And you're going to see how you're inconsistent. And you're going to be called for a greater faith in Christ and you're called to a greater penance. Praise be the Lord. But James says, look, greetings. And he writes this as a circular letter. He wants us to go around to the different churches and he wants them to write it down, pass it along. He exhorts them to live out their faith. True faith is always demonstrated in your life. faith that works. You know, for, I, I like to look at the stars. Greg and I like to have discussions about uh, astronomy and, and, and camping and looking at the stars, how beautiful that is. But I don't know if many of you know that the planet Uranus, or Uranus, for over 70 years was named George. How you like that? So next time you see Uranus, you go, "Hey, George!" Right? You see, bigger individual, William Herschel discovered the planet, and he named it Georgium Sidus, or the Planet of George, after his benefactor, King George the But you can imagine French astronomers, German astronomers, didn't like the anglicized name of one of the planets as they looked up in the sky. And they pushed, and finally, after 70 years, the name was officially changed in 1850 to the planet we now know as Uranus or Uranus. You see, if you're a Christian here today, you're no longer the person that you were. You've confessed your sin. You've believed in Jesus Christ. He died on a cross for your sin. You believe He paid the penalty for your sin, that He, he took on God's wrath in your place. And you've turned away from your sin. You repented and you submitted to Jesus Christ and said, Lord, Jesus will give you a new name. Revelation 2.17 says that Jesus will give you a white stone with a new name that only you and He will know. Alright, how special is that? See, James is calling you to consistency. And if you do live consistent lives, you ever think about unbelieving co-workers and, 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 their, and your unbelieving families and What is it they find unbelievable? They find unbelievable that your religion affects every aspect of your life. That's what unbelievers can't understand. It actually makes them nervous. right? For them, church is something they go to on Christmas and Easter. Or something maybe they go to every once in a while. Or they do some religious praying when they're in deep trauma or distress. But to to have an integrated life where... Your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ affects every aspect of your life. It makes them nervous. They don't understand why you don't follow them down that that endless pursuit of wealth, of personal gratification, of, of personal glory. They cannot understand someone who lives by absolute truth. You don't conform to their ideas, their cultural ideas about life. You follow... Wisdom from above and not humanistic wisdom. Right? You bathe Christ's teachings. And because you won't agree with them and their self-centered lifestyle, you are unpredictable. They don't know what to expect. They can't explain it. But you know what? Your life and your words, as you speak the truth, convict their hearts of their their self-righteousness, their selfishness. Their self-centeredness. See, that's what. That's what James is calling you to do. Live a life that's consistent. He challenges you to do the same thing that he has done with his life. Josephus tells us that James was martyred, that he was stoned to death. He says that the new high priest. Agapus II in AD 62 brought James before the Sanhedrin on trumped up charges. And they, they, as a kangaroo court, they condemned James and they had him stoned. And it actually was an unpopular in Jerusalem among the people. You see, jo- James was a pastor of the church in Jerusalem for 22 years, he was a pillar. He was a shepherd. He was the brother of Christ. But most of all, he was a doulos. He was a slave. He served the Lord and where the Lord had him. So the challenge for us believers is that you would live a consistent life. And you would trust James's words. You would respond to James' words in faith and obedience. Today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the thing that James assumes First of all, people have often said that James and Paul had two ideas of works, but that's not true. James just assumes these believers are Christians. Where Paul lays out the fact that he doesn't start from that point because he's dealing with Gentiles. And James knows these believers. He's seen them. He's talked with them. You see, your faith in Christ will always be demonstrated in your life. Faith that works. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning... Feel free to talk to myself, one of the elders, Peter, Benji, Steve. We, we'd be glad to help you, help you understand the truths of Scripture, understand God's demand on your life, and understand the wrath that's upon you at this moment. But for us that are believers, the challenge again for us is that we would be consistent, live lives of faith that works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace. Lord, we thank You for James. We thank You for his life. Thank You for the fact that we see that even though he didn't believe for such a long time, he, he submitted himself to You, became Your servant. Lord, we trust in You, and we, we look forward to our study of this, this great epistle Lord, you inspired this this pillar of the church, this pastor, to to write this letter, to challenge believers, to, to do still more, to finish the race set before them in faith, to work their salvation with fear and trembling, to demonstrate truth in their hearts. Lord, we love you and we thank you again for your word. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.